Great. We've got a lot going on. Good morning, everybody. It is great to have you here. Eric Wakeling, pastor here at Calvary Church. Uh, we're excited for this week. God's going to be doing some amazing things in the lives of kids. And even to know that there are going to be many kids who become followers of Jesus this week, going from death to life. Like, that's, that should be moving, right? Like, that's why we're doing this. And I think it's going to be incredible. Um, so... Uh, today, we're continuing in our series in the book of Mark, and uh, we've been talking about who is Jesus. And today, we're looking into a little bit of uh, God's plan. And like, just for us to think, you know, what, how often do we think that we don't understand God's plan, or we don't even, more honestly maybe, we don't even like God's plans, right? Sometimes in our life, we think about in our own personal lives, the way that things are going, and we think, is this God's plan? I don't know if I like it. I don't know if I want to be part of that. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Like, we think about VBS this week, and it's going to be in the mid-90s with 80% plus humidity. Like, God, why is this your plan? You know, <laughs> we're all, we're all going to be working hard. Uh, but in a lot of more serious ways, we think about that. We think this way, Lord, why do you work in this way, and that God does have a plan for how things will be. He has an order to things. And so today, we're going to be looking into that a little bit more in this story in the book of Mark. And so if you haven't already, I encourage you, grab your Bible, grab the Bible on the seat there, in front, seat rack in front of you, grab your phone or some other device, and open up to Mark chapter 7. And uh, we're going to get into this story. It says, Jesus got up. This is Mark 7, 24. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. All right, so let's first pause here for a second and kind of get ourselves placed. Okay, so he went away from where? Well, here's, here's a bit of Israel, kind of a modern day look, but also with some of these uh, ancient cities as well. That this is Israel, Sea of Galilee's up here, just to kind of orient yourself. Jerusalem down here farther south. Sea of Galilee is where almost, well, pretty much all of the stories that we've been looking at so far in the book of Mark have taken, a pla- have taken place around or on the Sea of Galilee. They've been in some of the more Jewish areas that we've called in the north near Capernaum, and then they've gone across the lake into parts that were more of the Gentile or the not Jewish or the Roman cities of the Decapolis. They've been over there, there and back, there and back, but now— Jesus and his disciples head over to the coast to Tyre. Now, uh, interestingly enough, Tyre and Sidon, which are next to each other, these are often paired, and you'll hear them be talked about in the scriptures, usually in really bad ways. Okay, the prophets are bringing judgments upon them. Okay, they're known for idolatry and paganism, uh, home to be of the enemies of God, or the enemies of the people of Israel, I should say, were, were there. And... Uh, Jezebel is from Sidon, you know, and they're, they're paired. They bring these judgments upon Tyre and Sidon, okay? And so that's where Jesus heads to. And we think, okay, wait, why are Jesus and the disciples heading to a place like that? 
Now, I think, it doesn't really say explicitly, but I, I think it's because they've been trying to get away for a while, and they've been pretty unsuccessful at getting away to kind of retreat together and to be together, just Jesus and the disciples. We even looked at how they tried to do that. Uh, they tried to go in a boat across to another part, and the people ran there. Thousands of them ran ahead to meet him on this other part of the lake. And so you have this chance where Jesus then is basically doing— it's kind of like if we were trying to do a pastor retreat and we couldn't get away, and so we go do that retreat in Vegas because we hope that there's going to be none of you there, right? You know? And, and so that's kind of what's going on in this story. They're going to this spot where they think, okay, well, no Jewish people, none of our people will be there. And so that's where they head. Now you can just get a little glimpse of some images, some renderings of kind of what it was like. Uh, this, is, this is definitely later, um, but— um, but you can see just what this coastal city was like. And here are some ruins of the Roman Agora in uh, that city of Tyre. So that's where they're at. Let's continue and get back into our story. Verse 24, again, they went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he, Jesus, had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. (laughs) So even here, even in Vegas— Everybody knows who Jesus is, okay? And that's the kind of impact that he's making. And so he couldn't escape notice. But after hearing of him, verse 25, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, okay, right? So not one of the Jewish people. She was of the Syrophoenician race, so that part of the world, the coast of Syria, essentially, right? And that was the, the civilization of the ancient Phoenicians, is in that part of Tyre and Sidon. That area is the Phoenician race. Okay, so that's where she's from. These are historically enemies of the people of Israel. She is, we find out in Matthew's account that she was a Canaanite woman. And okay, so that's what you have going on. That's who this person is. So this woman who's of the Syrophoenician race, and it says, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he, Jesus, was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Whoa, that's not the Jesus we normally think that he sounds like, right? You know, this sounds a little harsh. What's going on in this passage? I'm going to help us with that, okay? But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And without him even being in the same location, his authority is so strong and his power so great that this demon then comes out of this child. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. Okay, so that's our story. And this amazing miracle, this amazing thing, how Jesus has this power to do this. Uh, This incredible woman with this faith and humility, this way that she's able to express these words to Jesus. But... There's some language in here and some words that Jesus uses that here on the surface at least sound kind of harsh. I mean, they don't sound like this just oozing with grace 
sort of person that we expect from Jesus when he compares her, basically calls her a dog. Let the children eat first. You know, why would we give to you when you are a dog and not one of the children, not one of the people of Israel? So, okay, we need to break this down a bit, right? Like, I want to help us kind of understand what's going on in this passage and for us to, to also, you know, be able to get ourselves into the mode where, okay, when we don't like something, is that because, or we, something that we read in the scriptures ever, is that because we're trying to tell God that he should think like us? Or are we trying to make sure that we think like God? Now, let's get there. Okay, so the way that this whole part works is this is not saying that she is not to ever get bread. She is not to ever to like receive even the message of salvation. But there is a plan and order of things in the scriptures of how God reveals himself to the world and how God was working to redeem the world since Adam and Eve's sin and since there became that brokenness in the world and how God is trying to make things right. And he has a plan to do all of that and to bring people to himself and to give his grace to people. But there was an order of things. And that was to the Jew first. Okay? God's plan was to his chosen people first, and then it would be to the rest of the world. So when Jesus says, let the children be satisfied first, he's referring to the chosen people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, the people of God. Now, let me show you a couple places, and I'm going to let someone else help me with this too. Deuteronomy 14.2 describes this, speaking to the people of Israel, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Okay, so speaking to them, you are this chosen people. And then Romans 1.16 is where we see this to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is salvation to everyone who believes. And then it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And Greek being kind of another term. Well, it does mean Greek actually, but just for Gentiles or non-Jewish people in that known world in that region at the time. And so um, for us to kind of understand this whole thing of to the Jew first and also to the Greek, I actually uh, asked Ron Davis if he would help share with me up here, but he is not here. He's in Brooklyn sharing to the Jew first. So we filmed a video of him this week. So check it out. Good morning. I uh, am better known around here as Matt's dad. Uh, I grew up in a Jewish home in Brooklyn, New York, and I became a believer, a follower of Jesus when I was 26 years old. And since that time, for about the past 43 years, I have been involved in Messianic Jewish ministry and establishing Messianic congregations, and we reach out to the Jewish people every chance we get. I can't be here today because I'm actually, as you're watching this, in Brooklyn taking the gospel to the Jewish people because that is the focus of our ministry with Chosen People Ministries. And so that is what we're doing today. Pray for us because we need the intervention of God in terms of reaching our people. We have an interesting pattern in the scripture that's before us this morning. We're studying in Mark chapter 7 and within that 
Jesus is saying that he is not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's a reason for that, because there is a covenant that was made with the Jewish people. The covenant was made many, many years ago with Abraham, and he said that he would bless the Jewish people and he would bless the entire world through the seed of Abraham. And when the Messiah comes, he is the one who is going to be the focal point of blessing Israel and the nations through faith in the Messiah. And so as Jesus comes to this particular passage in Scripture, as we come, as we come to this particular passage in Scripture, we see that uh, Jesus is ministering in the land and all of a sudden, a Canaanite woman comes to him whose daughter is seriously possessed by a demon and asks for healing for her. And his response to her is, I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to the little dogs. But she says, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And his result is, great is your faith your daughter is healed. This is something in terms of a pattern that we find not only with Jesus and his ministry, but we find all throughout the Old Testament that this is the design was to bring salvation through Israel, through Israel's Messiah to the nations. We look even past the death and resurrection of the Messiah. We see the ministry of Paul and the apostles as we trace it through the book of Acts. If you start in Acts chapter 13, you see Paul going to the synagogue and speaking with the Jewish people, teaching them out of the word of God. And they are just enamored with it, and they want him to come back. And he comes back the next Shabbat, and he teaches them again, but there's some resistance. The whole town showed up, and there was some resistance and even some blasphemy in terms of what he was saying. And he said... That's it. I'm going to the Gentiles. And so Paul, from that point, goes to the Gentiles. But when we look at the next missionary journey, it says that he is back in the synagogue. And he goes to the Jewish people first. He goes to Israel first because he is establishing that same pattern that was spoken of and prophesied by Moses, by the prophets, that a covenant was going to be coming to Israel that would mean the salvation of the world through the Messiah. So I think it's good to then for us then to hear that from Ron of about Abraham and this, this promise that was made that they were to be blessed, but not just blessed to hoard the blessing. They were blessed to be a blessing. And so as it goes to the Jew first, it is not saying to the Jew only. It's to the Jew first, and then it comes to the rest of the world. And you could see even just a few more scriptures of Acts 13, 46. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, as Paul goes into the synagogue, like Ron was saying. Uh, even Jesus said, as he sent out his disciples, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, but rather go, as you heard Ron saying, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That my people are lost. I need you to go to them because then the gospel goes out from them. And the key is that the Messiah is from them. That Jesus was a Jewish 
man, and that he then brought deliverance to all the people of the world. So then it says, also to the Greek in that Romans 1.16. So also to the rest of us, that God's plan was for salvation to extend to everyone. And you have these incredibly humble and uh, just faith, faithful words that this woman expresses where she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. That she was happy to have the crumbs that would fall. That she just wanted anything. She wanted to have that. And so we remember also to the Greek, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Just a couple little passages here. For John 4.22 says, For salvation is from the Jews. That even in the Old Testament, as they were a chosen people, they were still chosen to be a light to the nations. And so this whole thing of how Jesus says, let the children eat first and, you know, don't take what is theirs and throw it to the dogs is because there's an order of things. Luke 10.1, I think this is interesting. It says that um, before this, you see Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. Now, the 12 has some obvious symbolism of them going to the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why you have the 12 disciples become apostles, and that symbolizes the 12 tribes of Israel. But then you see in Luke 10.1 that the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city. Now, um, we, we don't really know this, like on our surface reading of the text, but that 70 also had some strong symbolic meaning to Jewish people. Uh, it was, there were 70 descendants of Noah listed, and it kind of represents then the nations. And there was a rabbinic tradition that uh, was just known, thinking that there were 70 nations that were separated out after the Tower of Babel, when the whole Tower of Babel story happens and early in Genesis, and the, they're spread, the people are spread all over the world into different languages, that there were 70 different nations. And that was just a Jewish way of thinking about these nations. Now, uh, so when Jesus says, hey, I'm going to send you 12, but I'm going to send you 70 to go do this. Hey, we go to the Jewish nation first, but I want this to go all around the world, that the gospel is for all. Now, you still have this whole thing of dog, right? You still have this whole thing of being called a dog, now, I know for me, when I think, I'm a Gentile, okay, I don't know how many of you out there are, are Jewish blood people, but there, if you're not, we're dogs here, okay? That's who we are in this story. We are the dogs. Don't, like, a lot of times we read stories and we center ourselves around the, the main character. You're not. You're the dog, okay, most likely. And so, um, except for you. And, <laughs> and uh, so we do have uh, this, this thing where, okay— what, is there anything I can do to make myself not a dog if I'm a dog? The thing is, no. There's nothing you can do to make yourself not a dog. Now, um, within this, like, being called a dog was in this time actually a pretty great insult. Uh, that was something that would just be said about someone that was bad or evil or, you know, any kind of bad thing. Even Goliath, in the story of David and Goliath, he, David comes out, this little kid comes to fight him, and he's like, am I a dog that you come at me with a stick? And, you know, so he didn't want to be thought of as a dog. It would be, a dog would be a bad thing. Now, you think about dogs and them uh, begging or them wanting crumbs. This is 
my dog, Charlie, who, um, this is, man, that's where his bed is, actually. It's near our table. But that is where, when we are eating, he is at full attention. You know, he is just ready and waiting. And to him, a crumb from the table of the children, that is the best thing he could ever have. He loves the crumbs from the table. As the children are seated at a table, he loves that. Now, can Charlie make himself a child and and get to sit at the table with the full rights of a child? No, he cannot. Now, as we continue to think about that, I also want us to understand a little bit more about what dogs are, uh, or the word dog in the Bible. This is also in your notes, if you want to look at that in your outline. Um, But there's a couple different Greek words. Now, this one for dog is kuon, okay, kuon. Now, this is the one that's most often used. This is kind of the more general word for dog, but it also has meant corrupter or miscreant or scavenging beasts. In Philippians 3, it says the dogs and the evil workers, okay? So it's referring to people that are evil as dogs. In Revelation 22, which by the way is the last chapter in the whole Bible, and you're getting to be one of the very last verses of the whole Bible, and it's talking about who's on the outside of the city of God. It's the dogs and the murderers and the immoral people. Okay, so this is not the the list that you want to be on, okay? So this is this word for dog that is most common. There is one other Greek word that is used in the Bible for dog uh, in the New Testament, and it is not that one. It is this one, kunarion. Now, that means little dog or puppy, okay? A domesticated dog. Now, the Jewish people didn't have dogs for pets. That wasn't a thing for them. But the Gentiles, the Greeks, they did have dogs for pets. And this is the word that Jesus uses. He doesn't use the word of evil workers and the ones that are cast out and all of that. He uses this one. It's only used here in Mark 7. And then Matthew 15 is the same story, just in, the, in, the, in Matthew's biography instead of Mark's. Now, so this is the word Jesus uses, little dog. Now, so this, this word kind of means more, not what you saw before of my dog, but more of this kind of dog. I mean, that's not a bad thing, right? This is Charlie when he was a little puppy and wearing a t-shirt, because that's cute, right? And so, um, you know, this, you know, we love this Charlie begging at the table, but there's just still something that seems a little bit better about, th- about this Charlie. <laughs> and uh, so this is the word that Jesus uses to talk about the woman. Now, that can't be that bad. <laughs> I mean, that's wonderful. And, uh, you know, it does just help us uh, to understand a little bit more of like, kind of the language that Jesus is using here. It's not saying you're this filthy animal kind of a thing. It's, it's this more of a, a precious thing. Now, at the same time, you still think about, okay, just crumbs that fall from the table. I mean, that, you know, that seems sort of lowly. But here's the thing about dogs.
Before we attack each other and tear ourselves to shreds like a pack of maniacs, let's just open the sack first and see what's actually in it. It might not even be worth the trouble. A rancid apple core, two worm-eaten banana peels, a moldy rice cake, a dried-up pickle, a tin of sardine, bones of pile of broken eggshells, an old smushed-up rotten gizzard with maggots all over it. Okay, it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. It's worth it, right? Dogs aren't too ashamed to beg. Dogs want these crumbs from the table. Dogs want that stuff. That is a feast that's wonderful. And when you're desperate, you'll do anything. And for us to understand, this woman is desperate. She wants to see God work in the life of her daughter. And she will do anything. And so that's where she's coming from. And to her, the crumbs are a gift. Psalm 84.10 says, I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And really, what this is saying is, I would rather lay at the doorstep of God's house like a dog laying at the the door of, of my father's house than be anywhere else, than to be in wonderful tents of the wicked people. I would rather be like a dog laying at the feet of my God. And that, that is kind of the approach, I think, of this woman. That's the approach that, that she comes with. That I will do anything. I will lay myself bare. Because the thing that we will get to see is that the dogs will get to eat. But they just have to wait until after the children. Because God has a plan. God has an order of how these things will come. You see, Jesus' mission wasn't just to go around randomly helping people, okay? That's not why he came. He didn't come just so that he could go around helping every person that had some sort of need. He did help a lot of people, but it was all for a purpose. It was a purpose of him revealing who he was, doing the will of the Father, of him showing to the people of Israel that he was the Messiah. And that as they then take that message, they will take that message out and reach the world with that message to reach the Gentiles or the, or the dogs. And what's so beautiful is that then they will no longer be dogs. They will become children. We were dogs, but because of Jesus— Because of him being the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior, God that came down and lived in human flesh and experienced all of the things that we experience, that he lived a perfect, sinless life, and that then he went to the cross. And he went to the cross, and as he died on that cross, he took the sins of the world, your sin, my sin, the things that have separated us from God, that kept us as a dog and not as a child. He took all of that upon himself and was forsaken by the Father in that moment. And then as he died, he paid the price for our sin. The punishment, the penalty went upon him. But on the third day when he rose again, he showed that he had power over sin, power over death. And it is a beautiful celebration of his life and the new life that we now have in him. That we are made new because of him. And that it's because of what he did that we go from a dog sitting under the table hoping for a scrap. And now we are children sitting at the table with full rights as heirs, as children of the King of Kings. 
We are now sons and daughters, princes and princesses sitting at the table with God the Father. That is where he has placed us. And so his work has done that, but he had an order. He had a plan of how this stuff would go. And sometimes we think, ah, God, I don't like your order. I don't like your plan. I don't like your way. But God had a way and an order. And so it's uncomfortable to us sometimes. But we need to respond in the way that this woman responds. We respond with faith in who he is. And we respond with humility because of who he is. And it's so awesome that we see in this woman who is an outsider. She's not one of the people of Israel, but she demonstrates in this moment what Jesus was hoping for from the children. He wanted this kind of behavior, this kind of of submission and humility and, and love for him that this woman had. That she calls him Lord. She says, yes, Lord. It's the only time in the book of Mark that someone calls Jesus Lord, was this woman, this dog. She gets it. She gets who he is. And she calls him Lord. She has faith in who he is, that he is the one that can deliver. She also has this beautiful humility, this humility that is willing to accept whether or not she understands his plan. She accepts it. And she submits to it. And then you know what she does, though? She persists. She has this persistent faith that continues. It says she continued to ask. And that even when he dismisses her, she keeps asking. And that's when she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. That she is beating on the door of God's heart with this persistent faith that she has in who he is. And then he blesses her with this healing of her daughter, this deliverance of this unclean spirit. And, you know, I think about when it comes to kind of this whole thing of of faith and and humility that this that this woman has, I think sometimes it's it's you've got this sense of where, okay, I can get my head around these big plans, like God's plan for salvation to come to the world, to the Jew first, and also then to the Greek or the Gentile. Okay, fine, I can sort of get my head around that and how you're going to work in that way, God. But when you get into the personal, when you get into our own, the stuff in our lives that we don't want to happen, the things that we don't like, I think that's where it gets a lot harder, you know? I think that's where it gets a lot harder for all of us when it comes to these sorts of moments. Um, there's, uh, there's something that happened a week ago in my life where I've had a harder time with this. Uh, one of my best friends, best friends in the whole world, his name's Timo. He, uh, he died a week ago. He's 44 years old. Wife, two little kids. He was a groomsman in my wedding. He stood with me on that stage. I stood with him on the stage at his. He was, he was, uh, my friend Dave invited Timo to church when we were in high school. We became friends like in high school youth group. And he wasn't a Christian. And we all just hung out with him and just kept inviting him in. And eventually in high school at our youth group, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And you know, it was awesome. And then we went to our first U2 concert together, and that's a big deal, right? Like for me. And, and went to like so many ever since. And 
he, he got colon cancer and he died a week ago. And I got to tell you guys, I was angry at God. I, and I expressed it to him. <laughs> I was angry and I, I still have that feeling in there of being just, God, I'm angry with you about this. And I think, like, God, how can this be your plan? Like, why do your plans work this way? And I hope you're probably thinking of whatever is going on, the things in your life that you feel this way about. And I was angry. I mean, I was angry. I was punched the wall angry with God, and I let him know it. And here's the thing. I'm your pastor, right? I'm a, I'm a pastor. I've studied this stuff. I know the right answers. I know all of them, okay? I've told people all the right answers, but there's something about when you're in the midst of that moment that I want you to understand this. That it's okay to know the right answers. You know that God is sovereign. You know that he has a plan. You know that he is powerful. You know that he exists outside of time. You know that Timo is in heaven now and he's the one that's happy and we're the ones that's sad. We know all of those right answers. We can still be angry. Still be ticked off that God took my friend. And, and that's where I'm at with it, you know? And I think it's also okay, and I want you to know this is okay. It's also okay for you to let him know. If you look in the Psalms, you will see scriptures where people will say things like, Lord, you are great. You are wonderful. God, why did you let all of this happen? Where are you? Why are you absent? And then the next line is, and your steadfast love endures forever. And it's just like this sort of crazy bipolar, like up and down thing. And in the midst of our emotions, that's okay. God has given us those texts to say it's okay to express this to him. Because you know, I don't understand his plans all the time. I'm a pastor and I don't get it. I don't understand why. Why do you work this way, God? I don't know. And I hate it. But Lord, I also in the same breath, I submit to you and I know you're God and I'm just giving you all of me, Lord. And that's where we have to be. When we, we need to express what is going on in the depths of our heart to a God that is big enough and strong enough and loving enough to understand. And as we're yelling at him and we're angry, like when our kids are angry and you grab and hold on to them, they're still angry and shaking. That's how God, I think, has held me this week. And that's why I believe that God will hold you in the midst of those times when you think, yes, God, I know you have plans and I know you rule over all and you see all and we cannot see all, but we're still just really messed up from this. And this is not, this is not okay. That's the God that we believe in and that who loves us and we can respond to in that way. So yeah, God has a plan, but God meets us when we don't respond as perfectly as this woman does. And God meets us when we know how to respond like this woman, but we just don't really want to. And so what I want to ask you to do today and in the days to come is to express your real honest self to God with all of your heart. To give him all of your heart. Not just the part that you've prettied up for him, but to give him all of you. To give him all of your junk, all of your anger, all of your worry, all of your anxiety, all of the ways that you, like all of your doubt, the ways that you don't believe in his plan. And say, Lord, like, 
I believe, help my unbelief. That, that passage is kind of how I feel, you know? So express yourself to God in that way. And we'll, we'll have a chance now to worship. We have a chance now to come to the stations and take communion and remember the, that saving work he did on the cross for us as he gave all. And so we examine ourselves before we come and, and take communion there. But we'll also have people here at the prayer points to, to pray with you. Maybe you just have this like stuff in your life that you don't know how to express to God and you want to pray that to him or just anything else that you need prayer for, we're here to pray with you. But just to worship God in the midst of these songs and don't just, just don't sit there and waste it, okay? Don't waste these moments of worship because this life is too short and too important and God is too big and too important and he wants to hear the cry of our honest heart so much that don't waste The moments here, sitting back and watching and wanting people up here to impress you. It's not about that. It's about him and to express your honest hearts to God with full passion. So don't waste this time. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would meet us here, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon this room in a way that, Lord, that you show us who you are in a way that you love us with, with a depth that can love us even when we don't respond well, God. When we respond with doubt, when we respond with fear, when we respond with anger, God, meet us in the midst of this moment. God, I pray that you would be praised and worshipped in this room today because you are worthy. You are worthy. Lord, you gave your life for us. Lord, thank you that you have taken us from dogs and made us children of God. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.